With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Nobody's more frustrated than me, but I'm also never going to panic. I know know what we're asking guys to do works. Maybe this is a little bigger fix or it's taken longer than than what I expected, but there's no question in my mind that we're going to get it fixed. I came here for a reason. I had other opportunities, came here for a reason because I want to be here. This is the team I want to coach. We're doing the same things that we've done with other teams to, to turn them into winners. In fact, we're working harder at it. Uh, it's going to come. It's one of those things where you got to kind of look yourself in the mirror. Nobody wants to start 0-3. You know, a lot of people that do when things go bad in their life, not just football, just in their life, a lot of people like to quit. They tend to just give up on things. And, you know, that's that's when the love thing comes into play. If you love it, of course you're playing to win. You should It should kill you so badly that you're losing games that you want to win. So you want to keep fighting, keep doing that. So I think that's what you know, that they're talking about as far as loving football. You know, the football gods sometimes get you, you know, and, and lady football, boy, she she can be fickle, you know, and, and you love her to death and you want her to be your girlfriend and, guys, you're trying to, you're coaxing her every way you can, you know, and but she'll still turn your her back on you. And it's just, it's just one of those things, you know. And welcome here to another edition of the Husker Online Show, Nebraska football 0-3 now as they go into Saturday's game with Purdue. It's a 2.30 kickoff on the Big Ten Network. Purdue coming into Lincoln uh, with a 1-3 and three record. So, really, it's a game this week of two teams that are where they didn't think they would be at right now. I think both Nebraska and Purdue are like, we could be 3-1. and one. I mean, Purdue maybe is like, we could be undefeated at this point um, when you look at the schedules. And here we are in Nebraska, kind of in a desperate situation. And Saturday really, I think, set things back. You, you, you go back to that Michigan game. Robin and I were both in Ann Arbor, and – I think the biggest takeaway I had, Robin, is I think Nebraska fans thought they were done with a game like that, that those just embarrassing Saturdays where you didn't even want to leave the house, you were so upset about how the game looked. And, uh, you, you know, if you lived out of state, you didn't want to wear your Nebraska shirt around the next day because of how your team played. Well, that was one of those days where everybody on Sunday was down in the dumps because Nebraska just got physically manhandled and abused by a Jim Harbaugh team that's in its fourth season at Michigan. And here we are now. And and I, I think the expectations have definitely been ramped down. Um, you know, no one, people aren't giving up on this team. Uh, but the thought that Nebraska could be like an eight, nine win team, that's obviously left the window. I mean, to me now the, the goal, you know, and if, if you got to a bowl game and got six wins this year, all of a sudden Scott Frost would dang near would be a coach of the year. If, if he could somehow find a way to get this team to six, knowing what they face and how they've started. Oh, yeah, and you said it. I mean, it wasn't just the fact that they lost. I don't think that was a surprise in any sense. In fact, you know, I've, a lot of people picked Nebraska to not even cover that 18-and-a-half-point spread. So um, we all knew this was going to be a lopsided contest, but you're, you're right, Sean. The fact that it went down the way it did 
where Nebraska never stood a chance. They turned the ball over on the opening drive, and it was over. I mean, the, the game ended after that interception, and, and Nebraska put up no fight. It was the same mental breakdowns that we've 47 seen 47-yard run, first yeah, six. Yeah, on the second. same play. They ran the same play twice in a row and basically just had no, nothing but green space in front of them. And so uh, those types of just breakdowns that we saw all last season reared their ugly head again on Saturday. And so all that optimism that those days were behind us, uh, clearly the magic wand of Scott Frost did not work to stop them yet. It's a much longer task and a much, you know, heavier workload to rebuild this thing than anyone would have thought, including Scott Frost. And I mean, I know there's been a lot of talk about, do you reevaluate your opinion on what this time frame is to get the program back on to a championship level? You know, 2019, seem to be the year where, you know, just take, you know, one rebuilding year and all of a sudden they're going to compete in the West uh, in 2019. Does does that delay your expectations of what next season could be, uh, just given how far behind they are from competing with the best of the Big Ten right now? Yeah, I think for me, when when you watch the Colorado game, even though they lost it, there were some, some redeeming qualities uh, from, from that game. I think you, you saw a team that that fought, you know, continued to fight and that, that um, you know, kind of faced some adversity but, but came out and, and made it close, had a chance to win the game. Same with Troy. I mean, uh, there were times in that game where, uh, you know, you, you felt like, Nebraska, okay, Nebraska's going to – they're going to pull this thing out. They, they were down 17 nothing, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, they had, it, they had an opportunity to, to win that game as well. But this – the Michigan game, um, you know, I don't know if you saw the same type of fight. I don't know if you – if you saw, you know, if the, you knew that game was over, like you said, after, right after that first play. Uh, and I, I feel like when that first play happened, you saw a team, instead of a team that would bow up um, and say, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to go back out here and, and correct, uh, you know, correct that, that problem and, and uh, put, put a drive together, put some points on the board. I almost feel like after that interception, on, which would have been a touchdown, uh, you know, I, I don't know if that kind of broke some guys mentally or, or it was kind of that, oh, here we go again deal. Uh, and everything just spiraled out of control. Yeah, it's almost like Nebraska has played with a gun to their head almost every snap they've been on the field this year. You think about Colorado, turnover on the opening drive, they got down 14 nothing. You think about Troy, they get down 17 nothing interception. There was a big pass play they gave up, a punt return. And then last week was the worst. So it was 20 to nothing in the first quarter. A school record 39 nothing deficit they faced at halftime. 38 nothing was the previous deficit. I was the sideline reporter for that beautiful game in 2007 against Oklahoma State. Uh, Nebraska was down 38 nothing that day. I didn't think I'd ever see a halftime deficit like that again. Well, uh, because of a safety that should have been a safety, they, they, they was, it turned the score from 37 to 39. Uh, Nebraska was down there at the half. And that, to me, is where it starts. This week against Purdue, I don't know how they do it, what they do different, but they've, they've got to figure out a way to get off to a better start. And they've won four straight coin tosses. With, a, with Adrian Martinez, the starting quarterback, they've had him take the ball every time. Do you change that mentality? Do you defer to the second half? If you win the toss this week, do you take the ball automatically and say, you know what, we're keeping that same approach? Or do you say, you know what, let's put the defense on after. Or let's put the offense on after the defense I mean, and defer to the second half. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Whenever the offense does get the ball, just hold on to it. I mean, that's been the biggest issue. The, the turnovers right out of the gates. Put them behind the eight ball from the very opening point in the game. 
And then they have, they're left scrambling trying to make up for it. And right now this team is not good enough to play from behind. Um, I mean, that's not when this offense is at its best. Can they, you imagine the stadium on Saturday if they turn it over on the opening Oh, my drive? God. I mean, it's, it's – it's, it, All of a sudden you hear just that murmur around the memory. Oh, that collective sigh of The <laughs> disgust of the hands. <laughs> just the, guy, the older guy that drove four hours to get there and just like, oh. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, again, it doesn't matter about what you do with the, the opening kickoff. When that offense gets the ball, you can have to stop shooting yourself in the foot. The offensive line has to get a push like it did against Colorado. Uh, you have to be able to protect the quarterback when you drop back to pass. The receivers have to be able to get off press coverage and find ways to get open. The running backs have to take those five- to six-yard gains and turn them into 20-plus gains. Uh, and so, I mean, across the board, Everything has basically, you know, left a lot to be desired on this offense. And so whether, you know, Adrian Martinez, yes, uh, he's back finally. They knew who their starting quarterback is going to be going well, into a week. they knew last week. I know. But, but they, they played it. They played the poker hand. But I'm saying you didn't know what he was going to, you know, what he was going to do. Uh, he hadn't played in a game in almost two weeks going into that game. So you know what you have at quarterback. There's no issues around that. Uh, and now it's against a Purdue defense that's, Okay, they're good. They got a pretty good front seven. They got some good linebackers, but they're not anything overwhelming the way Michigan was. So this is a game where Nebraska at home should be able to move the football. And now just stay out of your own way and go do it. All right, we're going to get you ready for this Nebraska-Purdue game. It is homecoming as a, it won't be all that welcome of a homecoming after uh, the 0-3 start, but uh, should be uh, a great day here in Lincoln for some football. We'll get you ready for that, talk about all the offensive and defensive storylines, as well as take your questions in the mailbag. And then Nate Klaus will give us the latest from his road ventures um, from this past weekend as he was in Colorado for two high school games, as well as Yuma, Arizona, watching three different Husker commits play. That's all next year on this week's edition of the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I think we approach each game with the same sort of... Uh enthusiasm and attention. I think obviously the situation that we're in right now, we need we need to win this game. I think everyone knows that. Uh, but in my mind, it's been that way each week. You know, I felt that we needed to win each week. But we just have to attack this one and, and know that we need to come out, out on top. Um, obviously last week was, was not, <laughs> that was humbling. But it is what it is. We got to move on and uh, we got to be ready for Purdue. You know, they're a good team. They're going to feel good coming in here after beating Boston College. But at the end of the day, we got to be ready to go out and play in front of our home fans and, and, uh, and really get this thing going in the right direction. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. That was running backs coach Ryan Held along with quarterback Adrian Martinez uh, just giving some thoughts here before Saturday's game. This segment of the Husker Online Show is brought to you by Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill with Five locations in Omaha, one here in Lincoln. Uh, if you're not going to the game, get on into any one of the six Tanner's locations to watch the Nebraska game, as well as um, all the action here over the weekend, college football and professional football. That's any one of the six Tanner's locations in Omaha and Lincoln. But as you look at the offense, guys, I, I want to actually start with the running back. I think the running back position has been you know, really one of the bigger, harder things to get your fingers around. Week one – they delivered a lot of promise between all three of them, Maurice Washington, Greg Bell, and Devino Zigbo. Um, against Troy, um, it was very inconsistent. Maurice Washington probably played the best, but really there was nothing that made you say, wow. And then you, you go to the Michigan game. You heard Ryan Hell tell us earlier in the week, as far as grading out a game, that was the worst performance a group of running backs has had as far as their grade um, in his time with Scott Frost. And that, that spans over um, you know now three seasons. So, 
That, to me, Robin, they've got to get that figured out. Now, Maurice Washington may not play this week. He's been battling a stomach bug, um, has not really practiced at all. Um, Wyatt Mazur may see more snaps. They won't commit to that, but he's taken more in practice. Um, Greg Bell, though, he needs, to, he needs to do something. He's been awfully quiet, in my opinion, since the Colorado game. Well, I mean, he still leads the team in rushing uh, with 171 yards through three games. But that dynamic playmaking ability has really been lacking. You know, he had that 45-yarder uh, right out of the gates, uh, but really he hasn't done much since then. Um, you know, that, that was one of the elements he was supposed to bring to this offense, and to Maurice Washington, too, to an extent, uh, was those, those playmaking ability where you take a 20-yard run and turn it into a touchdown. Uh, and it just hasn't been there. And that is such an important facet of this offense, uh, the explosive, um, game-changing plays uh, that, you know, separate athletes from you know football players and uh the guys that they're counting on right now just haven't stepped up to the table in fact there's only been two running backs that have scored touchdowns divino zigbo has one and wyatt Mazur had one in garbage time against michigan and so just that collective group has been pretty uh uninspiring so far with their play so far and they really haven't brought that game-changing element to the table whatsoever yeah it's it's a position where we you know going into the season you thought okay well they could they could have a, a couple guys to, that have breakout seasons. I think Greg Bell was obviously one that we that we everyone was anticipating to, to be one of those guys, and uh, and then it was maybe a toss up between um, you know Maurice Washington or Divino Zigbo, but but really no one has has grabbed that yet. Um, and I, and I feel like if you ask anyone in the media, we would have we would have you know before the season started we would have told you that by game four or five somebody would grab hold of that and be the guy. Um, and and we, for whatever reason we haven't seen it yet so I, I don't know if it's the offensive line um or or if it's just you know one of those guys hasn't hasn't stepped up you know we haven't seen any of a, a miles jones either i think that's a name that that we had been hearing about um they've even told us that they wanted to get him more involved after he missed the colorado game because of of an eye issue but uh, for whatever reason we haven't seen any of him so uh, this might be the week where where one of those guys has to take control and, and kind of take some of the pressure off of Adrian Martinez and and find a way to carry this offense to a victory. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washhead, and Nate Klaus as we're, we're talking offensive storylines. And um, you, you guys mentioned that offensive line, and and you know everybody I think wants to see some changes or shake things up, but. They've kind of got a problem, in my opinion. They don't really have anybody to shake things up with. Um, and they're they're trying to create situations to get more guys in. Bo Wilson, though, still has never been more than a 15 to 20 snap a game guy. Trent Hickson, they've elevated him up. Now, last week, because of the nature of the game, they were able to play 10 linemen against Michigan. But I don't think there was anything out there um, that really led you to believe, like, wow, you know, this is this is the, the the right direction, and they could shake some of these guys in the lineup. And I think that's the 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 problem Greg Austin faces right now. I don't think he really has a lot of options to try to create competition and shake that lineup. Well, uh, Austin said himself, uh, you know, when you're talking about your top backups being uh, to the two, two of the top three guys being walk-ons who had never played a game until this season. Uh, that's a problem. And so even if you want to make a change, you don't necessarily have that luxury. And uh, maybe the biggest issue facing this team right now is uh, your two guards, your two seniors with the most playing time under their belts of anyone on that offensive line, 
uh, have been underwhelming to say the least. Uh, Gerald Foster and Tanner Farmer uh, have just not been very good at those guard spots. Uh, and you know, that's why Bo Wilson is, you know, they're trying to get him more time. But like you said, Sean, he's limited. Uh, he's not very good in pass protection and, you know, he has his issues and then there's just no depth behind him. So, um, you know, Greg Austin said he's been pleased with the development of the tackles. He thinks they've gotten um, better as, as much better as anybody else on that, uh, any group on that offensive line. But when you're talking about the, the core nucleus of that interior offensive line, um, you know, really struggling the way they have, that's been as much of the root of the problem up front for Nebraska as anything. Yeah, when, when you talk about uh, the amount of experience that the interior has and, and there's still communication issues and, and things like that, it's, that's, that just shouldn't happen. I, I, don't know, I don't know what the problem is. Uh, but, but, I mean, between those three guys, I mean, how many starts do they have under their belts? And they still mm-hmm. are having communication issues. Uh, that, that's, and the problem with Greg Austin is that uh, if, you, if you replace one of those guys, you're, you're, uh, you're hurting yourself. You're hurting the team uh, because those guys behind them either aren't as good or, or just don't have the experience. So, um, yeah, it's, that's a situation that badly needs to be addressed with recruiting uh, here. And, and I think that's, that's definitely, you know, one one thing that they're trying to do well let's even talk receiver last week and really all year it just doesn't feel like stanley morgan and jd spielman have been stanley morgan and jd spielman and i think a lot of it is the nature of week one they ran the ball so well they didn't really need to throw a ton Um, now they those guys did have opportunities and caught some balls against colorado week two against troy uh, both had a touchdown catch but you know the nature of having andrew bunch they just didn't get a lot of targets and then week three against michigan because of the offensive line problems and the way the game got out of whack. And Adrian Martinez didn't even have time to get the balls off to those guys. Yeah, there's those variables and the fact that no one else behind them has done much of anything to take pressure off of them from opposing secondaries. I mean, uh, who's the number three receiver right now? Who's the number four receiver or five? I mean, it's been a wide-open competition that isn't anywhere close to being solved right now. Tyjon Lindsay is a non-factor. Uh, you know, Jerron Woodyard is a non-factor. I mean, Mike Williams has Mike been Mike Williams has been an extreme disappointment. And just go down the list. Javon McQuitty, where is he? I mean, he was coming out of the spring, supposed to be one of the breakouts of that group. I don't even know he's played much at all this year. And so uh, that has been a big issue. There's been so much reliance upon two guys uh, that it, defenses know – if you double-team Stanley Morgan and J.D. Spielman, no one else is going to rise to the occasion. The tight end position has been completely absent, and those backup or those uh, lower-tier wide receivers uh, haven't done anything to help you know support those top guys. And until that happens, it's going to be a pretty easy formula for how to stop Nebraska's passing game. Yeah, I think we'd all agree that heading into the season, the, we'd all say a wide receiver was the deepest and probably the most talented group on the field, and, and so far that it's, it's not necessarily proven to be true. Well, lots to sort out with the offense this week. Let's hope they can get off to a better start against Purdue. When we come back, we're going to shift our discussion over to the defense as Nebraska is going to have their work cut out of them, uh, cut out for them as David Blau, um, who was giving them problems the previous three years they've played against him, will be the starting quarterback again here in Lincoln. We'll discuss that and much more next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. We gonna get we gonna get there, and it's all positive. But I hope if if people have any doubt in us on the team, I do hope that they make the exit now, and we get better from here on out. And Monday practice, we work our our butts off, and we get better from here on out. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. That was linebacker Mohammed Berry after the Michigan loss. 
um, just giving his thoughts on kind of where things are at. And, you know, Muhammad Barry Robin has almost become the emotional front and center guy for this program. I mean, he has been, you know, after games during the week of practice, he's almost been a spokesman along with Luke Gifford. And, you know, I'll put Trey Neal up there. I've been impressed with him, but. Uh, I feel like a lot of what this defense is going to do is going to have to be on the back of Muhammad Barry. He's one of the few guys you can look to and say, that guy is a building block for next season. Uh, he embodies everything the staff he's is looking captain, for. He's a captain, no question. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, he's going to be a team captain. He's going to be a two, you know, I guess three-time black shirt. And, uh, you know, he he's represents everything the staff is looking for. And uh, they want to recruit an entire team of Muhammad Barrys. And so not only is he their most productive defensive player, uh, he leads the team in tackles despite missing an entire half after a, a questionable targeting penalty. But, uh, you know, he brings that emotional side. You see him on the, there's clips of him on the sideline. If you peruse social media, um, rallying guys, you know, hold your head up. You know, we got to, you know, we keep fighting. We don't stop fighting. You know, those types of things that I just don't think there's enough of right now. And it goes back to the question uh, is, you know, especially the veteran players on this team, is there a sense that uh, here we go again? You know, we've been through this the last couple of years now where blowout losses like this, you know, we're not really taken aback by them anymore. You know, there just kind of comes with the territory. Every year we deal with not just one of these, maybe even two or three or more uh, of these that you're just kind of conditioned to where it's, it's not that big of a deal. And that's got to change. I mean, that, that goes back to this whole culture issue. Uh, Frost and his coaches have been, you know, hitting over the head time and time again. Uh, about you know having that expectation of success and you know not letting games like Michigan ever happen again and allowing them to ever happen again and you know Muhammad Barry is one of those guys Trey Neal is one of those guys and you could probably list a few more um, that that play that way and carry themselves that way just, Nebraska's got a lot of work to do to fill out the rest of the roster with guys like that well Eric Chenander said that we need guys that love football um, we we can't keep holding hands and, and we don't need guys that, are, that walk the line. Well, Muhammad Barry loves football. You know, Barrett Root has said that, that he's kind of the heartbeat of that defense, uh, certainly of the linebacking core, um, and, and he loves football. He loves going to practice. He loves getting into the, the training room and, and getting his physical therapy. He loves uh, eating the right way and getting rest and, and everything that, that needs to happen leading up to Saturday so that when Saturday does happen, uh, it's easy and it's fun for him. Um, and They've got to find those guys that, that when uh, when they get their their mouth punched or you know their teeth knocked in, uh, it means something to them. It hurts them deeper than than just being able to say, "Well, we're just going to run this thing out and, and get out of town." So uh, yeah, they certainly need a lot more Muhammad Berries on this team. Let's, let's stay on obviously defense here, and you know Mick Stoltenberg's another guy that is one of the captains. He's one of the black shirts. Left that Michigan game with injury, and we all kind of knew he was playing through some pain. Um, to me, the red flag was Troy. He only played 18 snaps. Damian Daniels played 16. Peyton Newell, I think it was 14. So his snaps had been really on the low number to me. And then he goes down with an injury, and we see him at practice this week. And it kind of makes things hard with Scott Frost because he doesn't you know, disclose a lot of those types of things. And maybe he will, but um, he's on crutches right now. It looks like he may have had even a surgery done. I'm not counting on Mick Stoltenberg being back anytime soon from what I've seen out there right now. And um, it's it's a tough situation, uh, but it means that Carlos Davis, Khalil Davis are going to, going to gain more snaps um, along with Freedom Akamaladun and Ben Stilley. I mean, those four guys 
are going to have to be kind of the front and center guys of this defense. Yeah, within as much as they rotate, I mean, Damian Daniels is going to take on a bigger role. Peyton Newell is going to take on a bigger role. And so that's the good thing about that particular situation is that's one of the position groups where they are already rotating quite a bit. So if nothing else, uh, they have some game experience under their belts now that uh, you know what you're going to get out of them uh, and you can kind of substitute accordingly. But, um, you know, it's just, you know, one more blow to an already difficult start when you lose a guy that had such a presence that Mick did, um, you know, production aside, uh, he was the, one of the vocal leaders that uh, was kind of the rock for everything that defensive line was trying to build uh, from day one. And so, you know, I'm sure he'll still be able to have an impact on the sideline, but they're going to miss him. Um, but, you know, again, against a team like Purdue, uh, they're going to come at him with a lot of different weapons. They have a top-level quarterback in David Blau, who they're going to play for the fourth straight season. Uh, seems like he's been here for right. ten straight seasons now. But How uh, many guys, I was thinking about this, who, who has started against Nebraska four times? Brad Smith, I believe, is one, because he started in 2002, 2003, 2004, and 2005. I've watched all four of those games. I think Clay Thorson will do it this year for Northwestern. At Kansas, did he? Was he a four-year starter at Kansas? Now that that I don't remember if he was a four-year starter, but you're he's I think he was at least three, um, for sure. But I, I know Brad Smith did, but it, it's rare to see a guy. I haven't do, been a lot of them. I mean, and so yeah, and uh, Eric Chenander had and Travis Fisher, the secondary coach, had quite a bit of praise for Blau. They called him an exceptional passer. And one of those guys that can hit the 20-yard out uh, along the opposite sideline on a dime uh, that, you know, elite quarterback, only elite quarterbacks can make that throw. And then, uh, obviously, Rondale Moore. Yeah, uh, Rondale that dude Moore. is wow. a – he's a dude. He's a guy. He's he a real guy. He leads the Big Ten in all-purpose. <laughs> he leads the Big Ten in all-purpose yeah, yards. Yeah, they, they do a whole lot of – he's basically like their duck R, like the yep. guy that does everything. He's lines of the slot, lines out Nebraska wide. Lines had no production with their duck R this Seriously, year. Seriously, like that's not even a position I don't think anymore. Uh, but so there's a lot that comes with stopping this Purdue offense. And so Muhammad Berry, you know, Trey Neal, and everyone else needs to rally this thing together and put forth – uh, an effort like they did uh, earlier in the season if they're going to stand a chance to win this game. I wouldn't be surprised if, if obviously, if Mick Stoltenberg misses this week, but if he's out for quite a while because the way his leg was It looked like wrapped, surgery. Yeah, it looked like he had some sort of procedure done the way it was wrapped. It, it wasn't just like he was wearing a, some sort of you know sleeve over his knee or a brace of some sort. I mean, it was that was wrapped from you know his, the middle of his thigh yeah, all the way. High ankle to mid-thigh. Yeah, I mean, and he's on crutches. I mean, and he was on crutches. Yeah, it was... That didn't look good. So uh, you're going to have to see a guy like Damian Daniels really step up. Who, honestly, I've been pretty impressed with the way he's mm -hmm. played there in the middle so far. Uh, but yeah, they, Nebraska is going to have to get production up front this weekend uh, to, to kind of slow down that uh, that offense of, of Purdue's. At least try to get some uh, get some pressure on on Blau and, and rattle him a little bit. You know, another one uh, too is the secondary. This is going to be a game that's going to really test. Uh, Nebraska's back end of the defense. And, you know, DiCaprio Boodle is a guy that had five pass breakups last week. Um, and he's going to be tested even more. Lamar Jackson's going to be tested even more. And what's different about Purdue compared to, say, Colorado is they're going to throw deep a lot more. And nobody is really – Michigan did it to an extent, but uh, you're going to see David Blau take some shots. And Nebraska's going to have to be ready because I do think Purdue wants to come in here and jump on Nebraska early and get Nebraska out of this game mentally. Because if the Huskers get down again at home, 90,000 people are going to be up in arms and this team's going to mentally – have a harder time responding. So I, I think Purdue's going to come out of the gates very aggressive to try to test Nebraska deep. 
Well, and Jeff Brom's known for be, having a whole bag of tricks that he likes to use too. So you probably see some uh, wacky flea flickers and reverses and all sorts of stuff uh, to try and you know hit those big plays and catch Nebraska off guard and kill their psyche right out of the gates. You, I think that's exactly the formula for how you beat Nebraska right now. Um, clearly, they're a wounded animal right now. That um, if things once again uh, go against them right out of the gates, they're going to probably not respond the right way. And so um, eliminating their self or sense of confidence. Um, as soon as possible is priority number one for Purdue and any other team they play the rest of the year. And Boilermakers are deceiving by their their one and three record. I mean, their three they losses should have beaten Northwestern. Well, they they're the best one and three team in the country. Absolutely. Probably. I mean, their three losses I think are a combined eight points. Eastern Michigan in overtime, they should have beat Missouri, and they definitely should have beat Northwestern. Should, yeah, definitely should have beat. They should be three and one at worst. Yeah, at worst. So I mean, this is a very good team, and so yeah, I, I agree with you, Robin. They've had their close games, and and they've lost all three of them so they're going to want to pounce on nebraska get up kind of break their will and get out of town uh, as healthy as possible all right when we come back we're going to take your questions in the mailbag husker online intern alec rome in studio he'll join us next with the mailbag you're listening here to the husker online show this is husker online your authority on nebraska athletics more than anything, just having one guy getting the reps with the first group. Other than going into Colorado, we haven't played a game where we had one guy getting the reps that was going to play in the game, and that only lasted for three quarters. But both those guys, I think, have done a good job. They were under duress on Saturday, uh, but Bunchy came in a good job. Uh, Adrian battled, um, and experiences like those are, are great for him to get, even though the, the outcome was very bad. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and A. Klaus. That was Scott Frost talking about just the quarterback situation this week, how it's different knowing that Martinez is the guy and moves us on now to the part of the show. It's the mailbag. Husker Online intern Alec Rome is in the house. That's right. Um, in between classes here as we get your questions. We, we don't have a full bag, but we still got a, a, a few questions we here in the bag. We got a few. We got right, a few. Well, what do you have in the bag? Shake it up. There we go. All right. Okay. Uh, what do you think is the biggest area Nebraska needs to fix in the offseason for next year if you had to narrow it down to one thing? I mean, that's like a two-hour special on HBO. <laughs> um, but I don't know if it's just one thing, but I would say it's creating and building depth on the offensive line and competition. Nebraska hasn't had adequate offensive line competition in years. I, I couldn't even honestly remember the last year where you felt like, wow, they've got like a very good number two group. Uh, that's pushing the one group. So they've got to find more ways to create competition, starting with areas like the O-line. Yeah, I mean, that's first and foremost for me. Uh, an improved offensive line makes everything around them better. Uh, I still believe they have the skill position players to be in a dynamic offense, but without an offensive line, uh, it's really all, all for naught. Um, and then you know, on the defensive, they need more cornerback depth too. Um, you know, Lamar Jackson and DiCaprio Boodle have been okay. Boodle's been better, uh, but really behind them, they don't have much. So if one of those guys were to go down, uh, I think you're going to see a significant drop-off. And so that is another area where they need to recruit. Um, you know, I think they're okay at safety, but uh, that secondary in general, I think, needs to continue to be revamped. They took a big step this offseason, and that needs to continue going forward. Yeah, the offensive line and, and secondary are, are pretty easy. I'm going to go with the mental side of things, mental toughness, uh, mental discipline. Uh, if, if this team is more you know, mentally disciplined, you're going to see less uh, penalties. You're going to see fewer, you know, you're going to see a, a more mentally tough team that can fight through adversity. I think that's something that, and I don't know how you go about fixing that necessarily, but that's something that, that is, uh, is definitely an area that needs work. 
I guess the next question, kind of leading off with that offensive line recruit thing, if you had the choice between a top-level offensive line recruit and defensive line recruit to commit, which is more important right now and why? Boy, I think the need is, is along the offensive line. So I think you, you have to look at your needs. Uh, and, and I think that if you could get – you know, a big time difference maker along the offensive line. I think that's where that's where I would take it. And if you if you had uh, your your pick at an offensive tackle, a left tackle, or whatever that could come in and be a day one starter for however long, uh, which would allow you to maybe move Brendan Hymas to right tackle and Farniak inside at guard. And I mean, I just think it frees you up to make a lot of different um, you know changes that that could ultimately benefit that offensive line. So that's that's where I would go. And the thing I'll say, Nate. Is I, I feel like the really good teams, like the Alabamas and, and whatnot, the Georgias, when they bring the JUCO guy in, they're just bringing that guy in as a cherry on top, on already a very good football team. Nebraska is trying to bring that guy in to like salvage a lot of things. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like those guys, as we're learning, are not necessarily ready to be the focal centerpiece of the offense or defense. When you know they need to get to a point in a program where the Juco guy is the cherry on top, not the guy you're hoping to put your hopes and dreams on. And not, the, and not the crown jewel. And they're, and they're not doing that. But I think the fan base and us and everybody, you know, when you see a Will Honus, I mean, everyone thought he's a can't-miss guy. He, he's been a struggle. Jerron Woodyard, another guy, oh, this guy's can't miss. He hasn't done much. Mike Williams wins a starting job, hasn't done much. And I think there's almost too much pressure on some of these guys to deliver immediately day one on a team that had a lot of holes. Yeah, I, I think – uh, you're, you're, well, you're right. I mean, uh, you know, eventually you want to get to the point where you've been able to develop your high school guys to where that that junior college guy is is kind of the cherry on top, not not the crowning jewel of of a certain position group or of the class in general. All right, taking your questions in the mailbag with Alec Rome. And on that same note, it is that time of year, Nate. So, what new JUCO offers are coming out? Well, I, I think there's there's a handful of guys that I think could be getting close to, to getting offers, um, you know, and that's especially it's the time of year where junior junior college players are going to uh, start getting a lot more attention. Um, you know, and we talked about the offensive line. That's going to be a spot where I think Nebraska offers a handful of players. We've talked before about Bamadeli Olaseni, uh, who has the offer already out of Garden City. I think he's their, their number one target at offensive tackle, by far and away the number one guy that they want. Uh, big athletic 6'8", 330, 340-pound um, freak there at, at left tackle. Uh, but beyond that, I, I think there's a couple names to kind of keep an eye out on. It's Chibuzi. Nawana, and I probably just butchered that, uh, but he's out of Lackawanna Junior College. Uh, <laughs> he has been talking with Greg Austin for a l very long time now, uh, and, and I, I spoke with him this week, and he told me that he thinks that he's very, very close to getting an offer from the Huskers. Uh, and then there's another one, TJ Stormont, uh, to keep an eye on. He's an Old Dominion transfer, uh, very smart kid, but he's kind of reminds me of Mike Williams, but in the fact that. Uh, you know, he signed with Old Dominion out of high school, but felt like he could play at a higher level. So he decided to take a gamble on himself, transfer out to a junior college program to see if he could end up at a power five school. And I think that's that's very likely to happen on the game this week. How do you feel the team would react if they put together a solid performance against Purdue? Would they make big strides just by gaining some confidence? The problem is it's the schedule next week. Then you play at Wisconsin and Wisconsin got a huge win at Iowa where they probably shouldn't have won that game. But Wisconsin has shown they haven't been quite Wisconsin this year. I mean, but ha will they be at home at night? Will they be a different team? So 
it's going to be tough to generate momentum is the problem. If they were to win this game against Purdue, then you go to Wisconsin, then you go to Northwestern. I mean, it's three out of four games on the road. It's a very, very, very tough spot of the schedule for Nebraska uh, to get that momentum. Um, but if they could somehow get a, a win against Purdue and then a split against Northwestern and Wisconsin, that would be, to me, best-case scenario. It's tough, but if Nebraska beats Purdue on Saturday, I realistically think they can win four of their next five games. They beat Purdue. I think they can beat Northwestern, who just lost their best player, Jeremy Larkin, uh, and they've been gone through plenty of struggles. Minnesota's bad. Uh, and then you have Bethune-Cookman. Uh, so, I mean, there's four wins right there, and just we'll – throw away the Wisconsin game for now uh, that could theoretically put you in the conversation where you're going into the back end after that Ohio State game of your schedule playing to go to a bowl game you have Illinois at home and then you got to win one of Michigan or Michigan State or Iowa Uh, and so this is a pretty defining point in this season if they have postseason aspirations in my mind this is a must win game they lose this game I'm throwing it out because uh, then you're starting 0-5 and the season's gone. It's gone. And so um, it's, again, it's going to take a lot of work. Like you said, Sean, they got to go on the road quite a bit. But um, those outside of Wisconsin, those next four games uh, are very winnable, especially if you can finally get some positivity, some tangible evidence that this thing is working with your first victory. And the bottom line is you have to remember what it feels like to get a win. I think that would – inject so much more energy and confidence into this group that I'm not saying they're going to go out on the road and and beat Wisconsin the next week but that is that could be a game changer that could be the pivoting point of of this season and um and you're right it's gone from you know you know trying to make a bowl game to just trying to incrementally get better show that you're trending in the right direction and I think getting a win this weekend could help him do that all right we got time for one more question uh, you got something light to end on Mr. Rome yes we have a fun call your shot what's the score of the Ryder Cup between the USA and Europe and which pair would do better Tiger and Phil or Rory and Justin Rose I am not a big golf guy but man Tiger last weekend that that was great for the sport I'm going to go with the Tiger-Phil combo. I mean, Tiger is playing some old-school Tiger golf, and I think USA is going to pull it off. Yeah, I'm, I'm putting Tiger on my team just for the ratings. Uh, just for the ratings. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, you know, USA is going to win. Of course they're going to win. Yeah, I don't have a score prediction necessarily, but I feel like the USA is going to win, and I would definitely go with, with the Tiger-Phil combo, even though Phil didn't play all the best uh, over the weekend. But – uh, I mean, who who can beat Tiger Woods right now? And we I mean, all grew up in the Tiger era. Yeah. I mean, like all of us, like where you watch Tiger Woods every Sunday for like 15 years in a row. I mean, that was kind of like the wheelhouse of our generation. So it's hard to vote against that guy. I even remember watching the 2008 U.S. Open versus Rocco. That was like one of my major first golf moments. The Nike was, balls. The, yeah, the roll exactly. The Nike ball there. But. That's right. Yeah, I think it's 16-12 USA. I think they blow them out of the water. Um, I mean, Europe hasn't been too bad. Obviously, they have stars, but the Tiger effect is real, man. It's Let's like go. frost effect. Let's, Let's go. Right. <laughs> well, uh, thanks, Alec. That wraps it up here for the mailbag. When we come back, we'll close the show with some recruiting and Nate Klaus. That's next. You're listening to Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Recruiting's big for us all over. We didn't look like Michigan looked on Saturday. That's the part that recruiting gets you. We got to continue to recruit well. Great thing right now for us in recruiting is I, I think we're going to be able to go out and tell people, hey, th- this is a big time place and an unbelievable environment to play. And there's going to be an opportunity if you come in and compete to, to play early uh, because of our holes and, and lack of depth in some places. 
And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show, final segment of the show. That was Scott Frost just talking about the challenge now with recruiting as really Nate Klaus, as we talk recruiting this last month, has been pretty humbling. We were just talking off air for Scott Frost, and uh, they went on the field against an elite-level Blue Blood team in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and he didn't beat around the bush. He goes, man, we've got to recruit. We gotta, we've got to develop better if we want to compete as a program against teams like this. Yeah, their bottom line is their guys didn't look like our guys, or, or their guys didn't, you know, our guys did not look like what uh, what you saw at Michigan, and uh, and so and that comes in recruiting. I mean, Zach Duvall can only do so much, and and obviously the strength and conditioning part of it is a big part, and that's going to continue to to come along. But uh, you still you have to recruit at a high level, and and I think it starts with the lines. I, I think that. Uh, especially when you're talking in the Big Ten, you have to have a good offensive and defensive line. And, and Nebraska saw what a good, at least what a good defensive line uh, against a, an average offensive line looked like on Saturday. To quote the one-year Nebraska secondary coach Corey Raymond at the 2012 Capital One Bowl <laughs> against South Carolina, look at them and look at us. Yeah, yeah and what's, what's <laughs> discouraging is that that's been kind of a common statement for the last 15 years. Um, you know, I, I know that when Bill Callahan first got here, he said, what in the heck has been going on at Nebraska? This now, is, in 06, I felt like Callahan did get it up. Well, yeah, and, and he flipped that thing pretty fast uh, by recruiting. He, he went out and got junior college guys. He recruited at a high level, brought in a bunch of really good high school prospects um, that looked like big-time college football players that looked like and Dave Kennedy was a good strength coach yeah. back then he I mean they, they developed a team that could play with elite level now they couldn't play with USC no one could back then yeah no one could back but they then. could play with Texas they could play with Oklahoma in that at that time and they nearly won two big 12 championships for Bo Pelini with those recruiting classes exactly so uh but you know since then um you know things have kind of reverted a little bit and and now it's time for the staff to to pick it up and and try to put back uh together a, a team that can compete at a high level now let's talk JUCOs now Nate uh, this is kind of the midway point almost of the junior college season uh, Nebraska's already got a few JUCO guys. You were down in Yuma, Arizona, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But do you see some more junior college action happening here now that you've got about four or five JUCO games of film to evaluate? Yeah, I do. And this is about the time where you, the junior college recruiting really kicks up. You know, the the elite national recruits, those guys pick up offers in the spring. Um, you know, it's probably, you know, a list of about 15 to 20 guys that really blow up in the spring. But uh, but it's it's right around end of September to middle of October when teams, you know, are, are about a quarter way through their season or more uh, and their needs are changing. You know, they've had injuries or, or they're expecting attrition or or whatever. You, you kind of look at what your roster is made up of and, and you see where the holes are at. And then you start to look at junior college players. So um, and I and I have no doubt that Nebraska is going to be doing that. I expect some junior college offers. Actually, I wouldn't be surprised if there's quite a few uh, that start to go out anytime between now and, and the end of October. So, uh, and especially uh, along the offensive line, I think that's going to continue to be an important part of this recruiting class. I think that uh, the, the offensive tackle, getting a, a JUCO offensive tackle, uh, maybe even two in this class is something that Nebraska uh, most definitely wants to do. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see the Huskers, you know, sign a, a total offensive line class of six or maybe even seven players by the time February rolls around uh, with, with at least two or three of them being JUCO guys. When you look at it now, I mean, it's not out of the realm, Nate, to, to say that two 
guys at least that are on the roster right now could be starting on this offensive line by a year from now. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Center and tackle. Yeah, and Desmond Bland will be one of those guys. Uh, and we, we were down there to watch him play on Saturday night, uh, and, and he—I mean—he lived up to the billing. He was a freshman All-American uh, in junior college uh, a couple years ago. Redshirted last season, and uh, he's playing left tackle for Arizona Western right now. It, it, but that's not his natural position. I think that you know when when you talk about a guy who's six-three, two hundred and ninety pounds, super athletic. Um, you know, he's he's only playing left tackle because of the athleticism at Arizona Western. He he translates or projects to to being a center or a guard um, at Nebraska. And I think that uh, given that the Huskers lose both their starting guards and their starting center, uh, there's a great chance that he comes in as an immediate impact guy from day one. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, we're talking recruiting. And Nate, it was kind of your big road trip of the year i know you and greg uh, peterson our videographer go out to you know games almost every week but at least once a year we do kind of the big road swing where we paired up with the husker road trip where you could maybe get to three games and last year you went to three this year you were in colorado uh you saw a thursday game you saw a friday game and on saturday you flew to uh, phoenix and then drove to yuma yeah. um you know that was that that was an interesting trip in a lot of ways to get go out and see mccaffrey at quarterback michael lynn on the offensive line and desmond bland all, all in one weekend yeah it was uh, and we saw a lot of guys that that either obviously guys that are committed to nebraska but also a lot of guys that that the huskers are targeting or that could become potential targets uh, down the road. You know, I think you start with the game that we saw on Thursday night, uh, Michael Lynn, the, the high school offensive tackle out of Cherry Creek, a big six, seven, you know, six, six and a half, uh, 280 pound kid. I think he's got a bright future, obviously still, you know, a little raw. I think that he's going to need a year of development, uh, but he's got all the tools to become a very good offensive tackle in this, in this system. Um, you know, he's a guy that I think, He's perfect for Zach Duvall. Um, you know, he's dropped 20, 30 pounds of bad weight over the last year. And, and by the time he gets to Nebraska, uh, he's going to have, you know, the frame that where Duvall can just pack pounds on him, pack muscle on him, uh, instead of, you know, needing to, to reshape his body completely. Uh, and then they have Carson Lee, 2020 guard there uh, that the Huskers have already offered. Uh, and he's actually going to be visiting this weekend uh, for the Purdue game. So, um, and those two are very, very close. And I think if, if uh, you know, there's an opportunity to, to get Carson Lee in next year's recruiting class, uh, that, that would be a big deal because I love this kid. He, he, he plays uh, the game with a nasty disposition. He's out there just punishing people. Uh, a lot of fun to watch. Uh, and then you talk about Luke McCaffrey. I think he's going to be a great fit at quarterback at Nebraska. Um, you know, and I think that as he continues to progress, He's just going to get better and better. Um, yeah, I was really impressed with his kind of the command that he has on the football field, the way he operated that offense. Um, you know, and on top of his athleticism, you know, obviously we all know that he can run uh, because he's played wide receiver, you know, defensive back, even a little bit of running back. But uh, more than anything, I think that what he showed me was that he can use his legs to extend the play uh, and that he's not a guy that's just going to automatically pull the ball down and, and try to make plays with his feet. Uh, he can, he, he keeps his eyes down the field and, and uh, you know, makes great decisions with the football. Uh, no interceptions on the night. Every, every pass was right on the money. Uh, so that was impressive. Um, and then I talked a little bit about Desmond 
bland down in, in Arizona Western. Um, you know, I, I think that he's he's a big time get in this recruiting class. And and when you look at the holes that Nebraska is going to have on that offensive line, to know that you've got a guy coming in that can can fill one of those holes immediately, that you're not going to have to worry about that that uh, plays the game exactly the way you want it. And he's very competitive. He he plays with an edge. He likes to punish people. Um, and he's athletic. I, I couldn't get over just how athletic he is. He can run. He's super quick. Um, he loves to pull. He loves to get out uh, on the edge and, and in space and, and punish linebackers. And, and uh, he loves to, to work on you know in the screen game and everything. He can do everything that is required of him in this offense. Well, Nate, I uh, heard you got pulled over by Border Patrol as well and Yuma on the way out of there. Well, yeah. Well, not pulled over. There's just a checkpoint. Um, so, I mean, that's how far you were. You were down at the edge of the country. Yeah, so I didn't. I guess I didn't realize how close Yuma was to the border. Uh, it's it's only like 10, 15 miles from the Mexican border, and in like ten or fifteen miles from the California border. It's literally right in the corner of Arizona. Uh, and I'll tell you, the drive from Phoenix to Yuma, there's nothing but desert out there. Uh, there was a couple spots, you know, a couple stops. Uh, the towns that were in between Phoenix and Yuma were basically like RV towns. Like the, it was just like giant RV parks. Uh, and I don't know what people do in those towns, but uh, feels like an episode of Breaking Bad. Yeah, it def- yeah, it, it did. Um, and and so when we were leaving Yuma to drive back to Phoenix, yeah, there was a just a border pol- border patrol like check station. They asked if we we're U.S. citizens and if we'd been across the border, and we said yes, we're U.S. citizens. No, we haven't been across the border, and. The guy had his dog there. He checked the back seat. I don't know. I bet Greg thought that was pretty cool. Oh, Greg Greg thought it was awesome. He he, <laughs> he wanted to pull a U-turn, go back around, and do it again. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that, so that was interesting. That was, uh, that was definitely a first. And I'll put it this way. Yuma uh, is so far out in the desert. When we got there at 4 o'clock on, on Saturday, it was 107 degrees. And by kickoff at 7 o'clock at night, it was still 103. And by the time the game got over, it was still... 90s? Yeah, in the high 90s. It was... It was like an oven. Wow. Well, I'm glad you're back yeah. in one piece. Yeah. And uh, we'll, we'll uh, keep up with the latest. Make sure you're on HuskerOnline.com all weekend as well. Full coverage from Nebraska-Purdue here on Saturday. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.